0: Marcus, You're late. Hotcakes. Yes, Mrs. Murphy. Be right there. Nothing worse than cold hotcakes. First time in ten years Mark's been late for breakfast. First time in ten years he's took a vacation. Wonder when I'll get a couple of weeks off. Nice boy, Mac. Give me full room and board for the whole two
1: weeks. You know how many gas meters I read yesterday?
0: 90. Do you know how many I read last year? 7,324. I didn't scream once yesterday. You know how many I read the year before that? Maybe I ain't gonna scream anymore. People should have things to do. Oh, it sure feels good knowing your own milk route. I hope I've still got it when I'm 50. But oughtn't me this bracelet too, all the way from Indianapolis. Nice boy, Matic. Of course, Mrs. Murphy, I can't wear jewelry in the library. Gets in my way when I'm marking the books.
1: on Jehoshaphat. A murder right next door. <coughs> next door? Well,
0: practically next door. Cambridge, Indiana. That's only 200 miles from here. A phantom kills another victim by strangulation. <coughs> he did it with his bare hands. Oh, stop creating excitement. You know Rosie can't take it. Leave the table, Rosie. You know, Ma, you ought to get rid of Rosie or stop taking in boarders. Oh, Ma, give her a kick. She's old enough to quit putting on shows. Nobody claps. Scream in the bathroom and be sure you shut the door. So, si, what about the murder? Read some of the gory details. Uh, was she a young girl? Why did you kill her, si? Was she pretty? Hey neighbor, how long has it been since you had yourself A big hot screaming ear full of forgotten horrors (laughs) Well that's too long Pull in close now for a crepuscular half hour or so of the Forgotten Horrors Podcast with your hosts, John Woolley, Michael H. Price, and my own self, Wolfbrand Jack. <laughs> when you come on from the dead, right
1: And thank you, Wolf Jack a.k.a. Michael H. Price, uh, my partner here on the Forgotten Horrors podcast, along with our producer and engineer, Joey Hambrick. And this time around, a Republic programmer that runs about an hour, and uh, was came out in 1943, and it's called Whispering Footsteps. And, <laughs> and I've watched this thing twice, Michael, Uh, because I couldn't really believe it the first time Joey and I watched it together the first time. And he mentioned that it was essentially, and I'm paraphrasing Joey here and Joey, if I'm wrong, please let me know, but it's essentially dark Mayberry. (laughs) Uh, And so tell me why, or tell us why uh, you thought whispering footsteps might be a good film for us to deal with.
0: Well, it's uh, the the subject matter of course is, 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 Uh, serial killer at large that mm-hmm. uh, automatically places it in the arena the uh added layers of social criticism and the basically the the yeah dark mayberry the the uh, more disturbing side of quaint rusticity. Mm-hmm. Uh, bucolic we,
1: rusticity right? yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, exactly
0: you, you get into the you get into the quainter aspects of um well you know i mean even even uh, our town mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. its dark side
1: And certainly, it kind of reminds you also of the monogram, those monogram uh, uh, small town pictures. But Joey always likes for us to do a synopsis up front. So essentially what it is, is this is in a little town in Indiana called Medallion. That's the setting of the film. Mm -hmm. And it's in a a boarding house run by Mrs. Murphy. And uh, her kids are in the boarding house as well as... uh, A couple of a meter reader and a a librarian, and a fellow uh, named uh, Mark Bourne, who works at the bank, played by John Hubbard. Right. And John Hubbard is finally, or Mark Bourne has finally taken a long vacation to Indianapolis first vacation apparently is heading quite a while and it just happens to coincide with a terrible murder of a, I think a co-ed in any.
0: Yeah. The, the, the killer is uh, as, as the press likes to do, the the killer has been uh, uh, referred to as the studious strangler or the phantom murderer. Yeah. He goes after, Uh he goes after scholarly victims.
1: Well, it makes it uh, look as though our, uh, Mr. Mark Bourne, who lives at the uh, at the boarding house, might indeed be the killer, the uh, phantom. Certainly, murderer.
0: certainly fits the description.
1: He does, and he's kind of a troubled guy, a little little uh, kind of a little weird, mm-hmm. and uh, and not you know not altogether uh, maybe a upstanding citizen he seems to be. Of course, you're going to be able to say that for the whole cast. Well, more murders happen. Uh, around him and as they happen his people his surrogate family at the boarding house really start um suspecting him and start turning on him and we won't give away the ending but it it is almost a social drama in some ways in how it does that how it shows that these these Mayberry type characters uh, and I have to say here that the Mayberry connection is really um, strengthened by Dick Elliott's uh, performance in this, the big guy who's the the police chief in this, who of course was the mayor of Mayberry in the Andy Griffith right. show, right? And so you've got that and you've also got this nice Mrs. Murphy who uh, is played by the woman who's, I just, her name just went right out of my head. Uh, Played by the woman who played, she was the housekeeper in all the Sherlock Holmes
0: films for Universal. It's quite, it's quite an amazing bit of casting to watch that uh, uh, dear old Mary Gordon. Mary, yes, yes,
1: Mary Gordon, right? Yeah, Yeah. taking
0: on a role like this, basically the, uh, of the mother hen Mm -hmm. with this brood of uh, passively vicious uh, inmates.
1: But they don't seem vicious. You know, they seem there's the, – there's, William Benedict, Billy Benedict, is uh-huh. one, of, one, of, uh, one of Mrs. Murphy's uh, – well, Mrs. Murphy's son. And, um, you know, there's nobody on screen more likable than Billy Benedict than <laughs> William Benedict. And yet he kind of turns as well. And there are all these stereotypes that you would get in Mayberry. You've got the meter reader, the, li- the, the sort of prim librarian. Mm -hmm. you've got um you've got uh the milkman you've got uh the dime store uh the dime store manager who ends up being uh joan blair is playing the dime store manager ends up being the femme fatale this tells you a lot about the movie that the femme fatale is a dime store manager (laughs) you know and you've got all of these people even the banker right, who is played oh, yeah. by, a, who is that, who's that character actor, Michael, that plays the banker, he's, he's in, a, oh, oh, Charles Halton, is Charles name. Halton, yes, played in five million B pictures as a, a vicious little guy, and he's like a Lothario, a Lothario here, as it turns out, mm-hmm. and there's all of these characters, and they all seem so sweet, and and and, and laid back, and it's small town, and every, <laughs> and then they just gradually and it doesn't even it doesn't they don't even turn 180 degrees right i mean they just kind of turn and they just kind of get they just kind of get you know more venal and more venal and more more petty
0: well yeah and hubbard is is very is very susceptible to this in his role as mark bourne he he's in many ways he's an embodiment of of uh uh H. T. Webster's character of uh, Casper Milktoast. Uh-huh. Uh, no. He's not he's not he's not an assertive sort. No, no, he, not at all. Flabbergasted to see himself being followed by a police detective that would be Cy Kendall playing the detective mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, who notes the physical resemblance to descriptions of this, this phantom. And uh tends to like I think this is the guy I think this is the guy well as he thinks this might be the guy uh, Hubbard begins to doubt himself yes and as as Mr. Milktoast in the, in the Webster cartoons uh, that was the whole humor he doubts himself and uh, and at a certain point these these boarding house gossips essentially convict him Mm -hmm. in their in their petty little minds and uh, uh, there's a beautiful turnabout at the end it's kind of an O. henry ending and uh, no fair giving away the game because people are going to need to see this picture and uh, they're going to need to uh, let it unspool on its own terms the thing gets in states its case gets out in like what 55 minutes yeah
1: it's under an hour right it right. it,
0: it feels it feels like it it feels like a prototype for an alfred hitchcock television hour <laughs> good point uh, it, yeah. It has, yeah it has that that uh, republic efficiency and yet there's a leisurely pace that recaptures that small town atmosphere to the point where you're really watching a picture more substantial than its slight running time you are and probably where it appeared
1: on the uh, on the bill too it's probably it was probably a second feature wasn't it <laughs> I mean you know
0: that's uh, the way Republic worked yes it, uh, hence the term programmer well mm-hmm. no, I mean all movies are programmers sure They're of course yeah. a bill yeah. but the term programmer uh, basically re- refers to the bottom half of a double bill. Which, uh, which, for many years, uh, were were the way to
1: watch movies. Right, exactly, yeah. And this is—I can't even imagine what audiences the time must have felt because this is a this is a different film. This is a different feeling film, very psychological. At one point, uh, John Hubbard's character starts talking about how he he feels the the footsteps behind him, mm. and you start thinking, well, this is a this is a kind of a a revelation, a psychological revelation. And it turns out to be, it is, but it turns out to be something totally different uh, from what you think it is. And and the reason I went back and watched this second time is when I saw the ending and you're right, it's an old Henry ending very much. Almost, you, you know, you say what when the VN credits come up and, and you, you watch it again and you realize it's all
0: foreshadowed. It's yes. all foreshadowed from the very beginning of the picture republicum among the poverty studio poverty row studios, Republic was most comparable with warner Brothers. they didn 't have the production values, but they right. put a, they had they had uh, lovely set dressings yes, they had moody photography not in the vein of film noir but in a in a kind of a shadowy, a more a more chiaroscuro version of a um, an Andy Griffith show, mm-hmm. that that sense of absorption in a community where people all know one another, all seem to get along. And yet, there's something under the surface. I, I would, I would, if I were programming a double bill with this picture right now, I'd, I'd put it up with, uh, with Kings Row. Oh my, that's an audacious, uh, that's an audacious double feature. They would, they would match beautifully. The, uh, the dark secrets. The right. The hidden. The air of mystery, no no matter whether a mystery is going on, uh, secrecy, whispering, the the whispering, the the literal whispering goes goes for the gossip.
1: Well, and you know, a funny thing is that uh, there was another Republic picture uh, the next year called Silent Partner, Mm -hmm. um, which uh, was another thing where people started suspecting someone they know As being a murderer. In this Mm -hmm. case, it's reporters thinking about their their editor at their newspaper, but also had Joan Blair, who's the femme fatale in Whispering Footsteps. She's in it and was also written by the two people that wrote this picture. And I don't know, can I, am I pronouncing his name or is it Lucier or Lucier? Dane Lucier. 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 Dane Lucier and uh, and Gertrude Walker, who was married to Charles Winner, apropos of nothing, but the two of them wrote a bunch of stuff together, and one of them was Silent Partner, as well as this one. Dane, Dane Lucier went on after this to do uh, Lady and the Monster, which of course was an adaptation of Cytomax Donovan's Brain. Uh, but this Gertrude Walker and uh, Lucier, they must have kind of had this idea about. And it almost is like the um, EC comics, right? The shock suspense stories where, where everybody sort of turns in eight pages. Everybody sort of turns on a certain character and it turns out that this character is not what they, what they suspect him to be, what mm-hmm. they have judged him to be, I guess is the term. But uh, you know, they didn't, and, and and Walker didn't really, I mean, Gertrude Walker did what? The damn don't cry. Which oh, is yeah. which was a pretty good little film noir, but
0: um you don't expect
1: this from a, Re- a Republic
0: programmer. No, no, you don't I expect find, this film. But then Republic had nothing to lose by experimenting, right? Uh, the bigger studios would experiment, like the like the Hecht and MacArthur pictures at Paramount, which are extremely avant garde. Mm-hmm for a major studio. Well, and even
1: the one at Republic, right?
0: Even the, Definitely. The, the, Definitely. the uh,
1: ballet noir film that they did. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> but and, yeah,
1: or that was mostly, I guess that was, that was mostly Heck. That was, that
0: was, was Hecht's uh, solo project.
1: And what was the name of that? I just, it just ran out
0: of my head. It's just the Spectre craziest picture. Spectre of the Rose. Thank of the you, Rose. Spectre of the Rose, yeah. And, uh, and, and Republic, unlike Paramount or Warner Brothers, Republic had nothing to lose by experimenting. They didn't assume hit status for practically anything except their serials, which were, uh, by and large, automatically hit material. And I would think maybe their Westerns, maybe their Westerns Westerns were pre-sold. And and I think the mass audience that turned out to the Republic Westerns would soak them up at a Saturday matinee. Mm-hmm. And, and then forget them by the time they'd walked out of the theater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't find the Republic westerns all that unmemorable today, but but they were they were Republic was feeding the monster, and it right. could afford it could afford to take chances with pictures like the Whispering Footsteps. What about the John Ford stuff they were doing at that time? That was a that was a kind of. <laughs> that was ford's disgust with the major studios primarily because he knew that republic would take chances mhm mhm and and they, and, and uh, of course ford brought big league credentials but an experimental nature right uh, and a little studio like this well you know it, it was uh, in the in the parlance of the 1980s republic would have been called a mini major yes Yes, that's right. It was between Poverty Row and the majors, wasn't it? Yes, really, exactly. Yeah. And it and it did its share of impoverished pictures. But even even Republic's horror movies, mm-hmm. uh, out and out monster movies, are not run of no. uh, the mill. They're inventive. The vampires, ghost, mm-hmm. uh, uh, pictures, pictures of that nature. They're as uh, off the mainstream as Val Luton's RKO mm-hmm, horror mm-hmm. uh, This is almost a Luton in a lot of ways, isn't it? It has a morality consistent with Luton. Yes. Uh it it doesn't have the the pretentious literary feel that Luton would give to his RKO true, productions. True. That's true. But uh it's got very much that sense of um, indignant morality.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, yeah, I agree. And, you know, the director was a was a, just a workhorse, oh, Howard Bretherton, you know, that did talk about Westerns. I mean, he did a ton of Westerns, but he also did films you and I have talked about a lot over the years and enjoyed over the years, that series of Mantan, Moreland, and Frankie Darrow pictures that were done for Monogram, where uh, in the 40s, in the early 40s, which for their time... Were basically Bantan Moreland and Frankie Darrow were um, co-equals. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You've, you've talked about you, that a lot. You know. think
0: you think of Brotherton and and you you get uh, you get pictures like, uh, well, Riders of the Badlands, Western mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Twilight on the Trail. All these generic titles that were designed to, as, as I mentioned, they were they were feeding the monster for that for that uh, immense traffic for. Saturday matinee westerns, but you know, Brotherton also did some some remarkable work on uh, the television Superman show mm-hmm, in the in the nineteen fifties. Uh, he did he did my my favorite Columbia serial, The Monster and the ape, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is which is just is so flat out ridiculous and yet so <laughs> terrifying in its right. intensity. I mean, how 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 did they how did he make it work? He was a he was a very versatile director, and he got typecast in a in a genre. But uh, you know, he's 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 got his he's got his share of, of forgotten horrors productions. Uh, the girl yes. who dared, for example, the right and right, the, uh, which is which is which is uh, it li- it's like the best RKO mystery that RKO never made.
1: <laughs> who did make it for Republic? Republic. Yeah. 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 Well, he kept working. He worked all of the time. I mean, and uh, and this is I mean, he keeps this film moving very quickly. You you don't want to miss a second of dialogue. Great thing about this picture is it's you can once again, you can get it on YouTube and a very nice print. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just doesn't go where you think it's going to go. Now, I should mention the only really kind of well, one of the only redeemable. Uh, people in the town is the character played by uh Rita Quigley who is named Brooke who's the bank president's daughter and the bank right. bank president being the Lothario that we were talking about earlier yes and she likes um she likes the hero or the protagonist but she also kind of wants to get him out of town <laughs> and uh interestingly enough it's her sister Juanita Quigley who had a little uh had a little uh, run as a, as a child actor mm-hmm. who is uh, kind of, I guess, pretty gangly here. She's probably a young teenager here. Uh, and a lot of people I've, I've read reviews and stuff saying how annoying she was. She's but you start looking, she, she um, has a habit of screaming. It's almost um, it's almost a psychological thing where she will scream. And uh, they tell her, you know, they tell her, go to your room if you're going to scream. And and mm-hmm. she, at one point, she tells the boarders, I haven't screamed all day. You know, it's it's uh it's like that. What is that malady where people um uh subconsciously and, and <laughs> say, you know say uh, swear words and stuff because they can't help themselves? What is that?
0: No, Tourette Tourette's syndrome. Tourette syndrome, right?
1: It's almost a Tourette syndrome.
0: That's that's very much the. Uh, malady that uh, that afflicts Edward Norton in a recent film called Motherless Brooklyn. There you go. Mm-hmm. One of the best modern film noirs I've ever run across. Really, really? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen Motherless Brooklyn, uh, you've missed a treat. Okay. It's, it's, like, it's like a it's like a modern day equivalent of Chinatown. Oh really? Oh good. And, okay. And and the, and and the quirk is not, the quirk of uh, spouting off inappropriately is not. A gimmick it's part of the character mm-hmm. a private eye who, <laughs> who who says outrageous things at the most inappropriate moments
1: well and it's kind of the same way with this 180 quake the character screams I don't, inappropriate.
0: I don't i don't find i don't find that character annoying at all i think no she, i think i think it's a i think it's one of the redeeming quirks that uh that that, that, that well it the entire cast behaves true to human nature and in being true to human nature they also demonstrate how rotten human nature can be
1: that's right that's exactly right how petty and venal and small human Mm -hmm. nature can be it's really worth a look it's one of the best hours i think you'll ever spend (laughs) in terms of just i mean it's a straight it's an hour and i mean it's less than an hour like oh, you yeah. are talking about 55 56 minutes or something. I
0: I ran across whispering uh, whispering uh, footsteps um, oh maybe what 10 15 years ago when we were compiling the third forgotten horrors book. right and and I was going over the copyright catalogs and the American Film Institute documents and, and looking for titles that at least had the Tang of weirdness about them, right. stuff, that, stuff that George Turner and I hadn't really noticed or paid much attention to when we were uh, making our lists that led to those books, and uh, I looked it up and says, "Ooh, this looks, this looks like um, David Lynch's Blue Velvet—the beautiful bucolic setting mm-hmm. that is undermined by rot."
1: Right, and it's so subtle. That's the thing yeah. about it. I mean, I realized part uh, the censorship things that were in, you know, the production code stuff that was going on at the time. But, yeah. but it's still. I mean, as uh, Andre Godet, this is probably the only time I'll quote Andre Godet on a Forgotten Horse podcast. But the French <laughs> novelist Andre Godet said, "Art is is uh, is uh, is born of constraint and dies of freedom." And I think that this constraints that they had made these characters when they took these characters and they couldn't make them maybe the way that they, that, you know, when they were just full tilt crazy, but it was very subtle. It's also mm. subtle. And I think it has somehow something to do with the production code and the way that people were supposed to be seen. And it's a subversion yep. of, of that code, you know, it's a subversion <laughs> of the Republic of the Republic rural comedies right it's very much so the of all of that so uh, we recommended i think i can say on michael's behalf that we recommend
0: yeah it, uh, i got to say the uh, the first time i saw the film i uh, flashed on a <laughs> flashed on an old groaner that i had learned as a schoolboy and you probably heard it yourself uh say john do you know why the landlady burned down her boarding house well no uh she wanted to get rid of all those ugly rumors.
1: <laughs> and on that, we recommend Whispering Footsteps. And Michael, tell us what you've got uh, for sale on uh, the World Wide Web. Just uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know when uh, when this is going. Well, it's going to come out on originally on in November. So uh, Christmas is coming up. We'd like to suggest if you're looking for some. Uh, some uh, uh, gifts for uh, yourself or others. uh, If you would like to look uh, on amazon.com and other online outlets under our name, Michael H. Price or John. Will, you'll find the forgotten horrors books under Michael's Mm -hmm. name. You'll find uh, some other books like um, the forgotten horrors uh, fantasies in the sand. And you'll, if you, we would be delighted if you would want to do that. And please also Check out my website, johnwoolley.com, uh, W-O-L-E-Y.com, and we've got some books uh, for sale there too. Michael, what's what's the latest? Besides your, uh, well, discs, you've got a new, a new disc out, or a reasonably new disc out, because I've been playing it on my radio show.
0: Oh, you mean uh, mess with the Rose. That's right. Yeah. Well, mess with the Rose and you get the thorn. That's, (laughs) uh, I've been, been playing that, playing that good old Texas, Oklahoma swing right and left and Mm -hmm. uh, got more stuff going into the studio uh, this, this very week. So I guess that, uh, I guess that must count for something. Uh, the new, the new, the newest book out is actually a, an old favorite that has that I've expanded to nearly 400 pages of uh, thick lights loud smoke and dim dim music
1: And I was telling you before he went on the air that uh, my friend Maury Sullivan, who has led uh, uh, the Brazos Valley Boys, Hank Thompson's band for so many years, uh, is a a big fan of that book. Uh, We were talking the other day and he told me that he just thought that was uh, a terrific book. So people who enjoy music might uh, certainly might enjoy that as well as they might enjoy my my book on the Canes Ballroom, 20th Century Honky Tonk that I did with Brett Bingham.
0: Uh, those two, those two match up like uh like like King's Row and Whispering. <laughs> That's exactly that, right. a natural, natural combination. The- and
1: <laughs> but we really would like to recommend that you if you would if you're ordering your uh, uh Christmas gifts online, take a look at what we have out there. We'd appreciate it, and it would be a, a great way to support this podcast. That we're so happy to do uh, once a month, and next month we uh, we already mentioned the film, didn't we? we we're thinking about doing uh, Vampire's Ghost.
0: Definitely.
1: What do you think? I mean, no, I think, I,
0: that's, I, I think yeah. that's a natural choice.
1: Well, let's give it a shot. And meanwhile, uh, if you're listening to this in real time, as we uh, we do it in th- in uh, in November, we we hope you have a good Thanksgiving, uh, regardless of everything that's going on around us. And uh, we're all going to get through it. And uh, and thanks for your patronage, Michael. Anything I've forgotten? No, yeah. I think we've covered it. All right, pal. We will talk to you soon. Joey Hambrick, are you still on there? I'm here. Yeah. All right, good. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. And we'll see everybody again very soon, or we'll be talking to you anyway.
0: My right, good.